Acts chapter 19 tonight, if you would please, Acts in chapter number 19, appreciate the song, Brother Don, very much, the refiner's fire, Acts chapter number 19. This is sermon 41 out of the book of Acts as we've been making our journey here following a church for his name and certainly that's how that church operated then, it's how our church should operate now. Acts chapter number 19, we come to verse number 21. So Acts 19 and verse number 21. In our last time together, we saw that when imposters came on the scene, I'm thinking about the sons of Sceva that were there that were obviously humiliated uh, because they wanted to use the power, but they didn't have a relationship with the one that was represented by that power. And so when imposters came on the scene, the the early apostles trusted the power of the word to prevail. And that's exactly what happened. It prevailed because they were faithful to proclaim it. They had a true relationship with God. And we saw at the end that the church was purified. It was uh, cleansed even there in Ephesus. And so now we come to verse number 21 and it says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through uh, Macedonia and Achaia to come to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. At the same same time, there arose no small stir, no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen whom he called together with the workmen of the like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands. You see what he's doing? Is he concerned about their faith or the economy? It's an economic concern here, obviously. Look at verse 27, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, great is the great is Diana, the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another. For the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. They didn't even know why they were there. Just a mob. Verse 33, and they, drew ne- and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one, one voice about the space, watch this now, of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, 
What man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper, the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter, seeing seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which have neither which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. In other words, he's saying, take it to court. Don't take it here. Take it to court. And if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. How about we read just one more verse out of chapter 20? It says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples, and embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. Future plans, present problems. Future plans, that's what he had, but they were threatened by present problems problems. Maybe you could relate with that. Some of your best plans, even uh, plans that you know that God wants you to do in your life can be hindered by present problems. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated, then we'll get right into the message here this evening. Understand this past Wednesday, Brother Sam Benzwanger preached about being in the current, getting into the current of God's will. And so I talked to him a little bit about that. He was sharing with me what God put on his heart out of the book of Colossians. If you're here, then you enjoyed that sermon and no doubt benefited thereby. God gave us emotions, but we're not to make decisions based on it strictly emotions. We're to make decisions based on the will of God for our lives. Paul prayed for the people of Colossae that they might be in God's will Epaphras was a man who definitely lived according to God's will, and as a result of that, then his life was fruitful. We can certainly say the same about Paul in the way that he lived his life. The fact that he was uh, writing to the Colossians about being in God's will indicates that he knew what it was to be in God's will. He'd experienced that. He'd lived that. He wasn't just telling them to do that, but he was lifting it himself. Paul most certainly was. And thus our text told us in the early part that he purposed in the Spirit to go into Macedonia, and we'll come to that here in just a moment. But here's what I find about Paul and in our journey of the book of Acts, as well as not, not just Paul, but also other believers, their will was submitted to the will of God. And that's how they operated. That was their mode of operations, is that they had plans, they even had desires. You know, Paul had desire. Remember back as we were studying through, he had desire to go to Bithynia, he had a desire to go elsewhere, but the Spirit of God told him no, and so he submitted his desire to the will of God. That's really how we all ought to live our lives. Is just It's not that you're not going to have a desire, but your desire must always be submitted to God's will. So Paul firmly believed that what the next step was, as we'll come to it in our study here of this chapter, was certainly to proceed on to go into Macedonia and then down into Achaia and then over to Jerusalem, and then from there he had a real desire and believed it to be God's will to go to Rome to go to Rome. That he believed to be what God would have him to do. That was his future plans. But as we see here, it says there was no small stir. In other words, there was a big disturbance. No small stir about that way. He encountered problems. 
And so his future plans, always submitted to God's will, uh, to God's leadership, were also subject to present problems. And so we need to see how that, how that, that played out in his life. You know, your plans and my plans, uh, even submitted to God's will, does not mean, that, of course, that we're exempt from problems of life. You're going to encounter that. You have the end in mind. You've got an idea where you want to go, where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. Maybe, maybe even this year you've come to some conclusions and you've even stepped out by faith that I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to maybe it would be this to teach this class, this Sunday school class. Well, you know it to be God's will. You start into it. It's very exciting. And then you get that class. I mean that class, you know. Maybe one of the roughest classes you've ever had. Maybe the roughest class has ever been in the history of Southwest Baptist Church. But you're in God's will. You're in God's will. Maybe you uh, determined last year, last missions conference, I'm going to uh, pray about what God wants me to give by way of faith promise missions. And you determined to do that. You believe you were doing God's will. And you started doing that. And then the next thing you know, your hours started going down instead of up at work. And that, can it work that way? And then, you know, this went out at the home and the car went out and the kid got sick. I don't know why he got sick. He had not my permission to get sick, you know, and bad timing. And so in any case, you know, you have all these things going on. Your future plans can be hindered by present problems. You know, week by week, I try to run just uh, staying healthy and such and enjoying running at this point. <laughs> um, and so I'll start out running. And sometimes though, in the course of running, I've got my dog running with me. And, uh, uh, and then in the course of running, I'll come up around our neighborhood around. There's one certain street that I like to run down. But like what Paul said in the book of Philippians, beware of dogs. I'm taking that literally in that, on that street. Because they are there. And I know if I'm going to run down that street, I, usually I'll grab a stick and I'll talk them down. I mean, you know, you've got to be tough. You've got to talk tough to dogs. But I, I've got a plan, but my plans can be hindered by present problems. Yep. That's life. I believe it's all of us. All of our lives. Your future plans, whatever they might be, might very well be disrupted by present problems. What should you do in that situation? Well, let's consider it from this text here tonight. I see that Paul uh, certainly received what I believe to be God's leadership, God's mind on this about his future. You know, you ought to be submitting your will to God's will. Every decision. God, what do you want me to do? Um, you know, we can, we can really operate in life in one of three ways. You can make plans. And then carry them out in your own strength. You can do this. You can make plans and then ask God to bless those plans. Are you with me? You can make plans and then ask God to help you with your plans. Or like Hudson Taylor, I shared this in class this week. It's fresh in my mind. He said this. Um, we can begin with God. Ask his plans. And then offer ourselves to carry out his purposes. That's the way we're to live. Start with God, ask his plans, and then submit yourself to be a part of that. Well, it says in verse number 21 that after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit to go into Macedonia. He was submitting his resolve to God. You might notice that this route where he was in Ephesus going up into Macedonia, uh, which would be there with Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and then going south into Achaia, where would be, of course, Corinth, going south that way. And then going across or back through, we're going to see that he's actually going to go back through Macedonia. And then through and then over 
and back uh, to Jerusalem. He was, remember, he was raising some funds for the poor saints of Jerusalem. And so that's the purpose in his journey. He believed that to be the will of God. Well, that wasn't a direct route. If you're going to Jerusalem, you don't go that way. It'd be like us saying, you know, I'm going to go to Orlando, Orlando, and so I'm going to go up here to Denver, and then I'm going to go over here and down south to Albuquerque. I'm uh, going to go down uh, that way, and then I'm going to shoot over to Orlando. Well, that doesn't make sense. And Paul's route doesn't really make sense unless you understand he's concerned about discipleship and trying to strengthen those churches, and also he's thinking about Jerusalem. And so he's uh, certainly, certainly believing that this was indeed the will of God. But then I like what it said in verse 21. He wanted to go to Rome. Rome being the, the um, major city of that day and time. He believed that the gospel had business in Rome. And, of course, he wrote the book of Romans, preparing for his trip to go in that direction. And so really the rest of Acts is going to be Paul moving towards that, which would be the divine appointment for his life, the place of Rome. Just like Jerusalem in the life of Jesus, so is Rome in the life of Paul. He was moving in that direction, and I'm certainly glad that he did. He didn't know everything that was going to come about in his life, he, but he did have this. He did have clear direction from God as to what the next plans were to be, what he was to do, and he was headed in that direction. I do not find Paul slowing down. I do not find Paul becoming satisfied with how things were. I only see Paul saying the gospel has got to go further. Listen, I believe that's a good, good lesson for us as we prepare for missions conference. We can't get satisfied with where we've been, missions speaking. I'm thankful to God for what what has been accomplished here. I'm thankful to God that we're actually ahead of schedule on our missions giving and that we've surpassed the goal from this past year. That's a real blessing. But listen, we just sat down with the missions committee here just before this service tonight, and there were needs that were presented there, needs of additional support or needs for a project here or there. Listen, there are still needs there. There's still a need in the world, of course, for the gospel. So it's not a time to slow down, church. It's a time to move forward. I believe that to be the will of God, I believe it to be God's will that we would only increase our involvement, only increase our involvement in world missions. But Paul's future's plans were disrupted. They were disrupted by a present set of problems. I see that in verse number 23 and following. It says, And at and the same time there arose no small stir. That means there was a big to-do about this. There was a big disturbance about that way. And here's how it came about. It says, There was a certain man named Demetrius. A silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana and brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. And so uh, here's, it's accelerating, it's, it's getting worse in its, in its problems there. In Ephesus, of course, by this time, Paul had been there for two years, two and a half years, going on three. And so he's had significant inroads there in Ephesus. He's had to change locations, but instead of problems subsiding, they're actually going to Get larger, And here's how, how it came about. As the gospel continued to make progress, the sale of idols went down. Demetrius is looking at his report, and he's seeing that sales are way down this month. What's the problem? You know, I mean, uh, people are, are, were buying these silver shrines, these replicas of the temple there, Diana. I mean, he said it himself that the whole world worships Diana. 
the, the world there at that time. Diana, also known as Artemis, and widely followed the goddess of fertility. 33 shrines that were built to her in that uh, area of the world, but the largest of all temples was there in Ephesus. In fact, we've mentioned this before, but it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Some of you may, I know some have been just recently, I know the Starks just recently went to Ephesus and around that area, but there's a lot of history that is there and, and different ones have, have been there to see some of these sites. But this, this particular, uh, the temple had 117 columns, 60 feet tall, six and a half feet wide. It's a major temple. A major, major temple. Can you imagine this? They, uh, they say that it was larger in size than a modern football field. Just to put it in perspective. I know in Oklahoma we understand football, right? So it's a big temple. Huge columns. In fact, for its day and time, it was the largest building in that whole region of Greece. It was the largest building in Greece, in the Greek world at that time. Demetrius was a silversmith. He called together the Silver Shrine Union and the Chamber of Commerce. And he said, men, our livelihood is in problems. It's in jeopardy. Sales have gone way down. And I'll tell you what the problem is. Paul, that preacher of the gospel. What's the problem, Demetrius? Was Paul out there picketing? Was he out in front of the shrine and and, and uh, showing and, and declaring that there are no such things as idols or no such things as gods. And was he, was he uh, causing a disturbance that way? No, he wasn't doing anything like that. But I'll tell you what he's doing. He's going around preaching this gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. And people are leaving, idolat- leaving these idolatry. And this is terrible because our business is just going way down. We've got to do something about this. And I'll tell you what's going to happen over time. If this thing just keeps going like it is, then the whole temple is going to be forsaken. That's what's going to happen. Material concerns was forefront in his mind. The gospel was threatening their business. Can I just uh, say this to you here tonight? I believe if we're preaching the gospel the way we ought to be preaching the gospel... That there are numerous businesses right here in Oklahoma City that ought to feel threatened by the presence of Southwest Baptist Church. That there ought to be some unions getting together and some people within our, our uh, city who are saying, you know, we're losing a lot of alcohol business here. Beer sales have been way down. And it won't be because we're out there picketing and saying, you know, and overthrowing and burning the, the Budweiser uh, brewery over here and... And, uh, you know, not because we're doing that, but just simply because we're leading people to Christ and it's causing sales to go way down. I believe they ought to be threatened. I believe cigarette companies ought to be threatened. I believe the lottery ought to be threatened right here in Oklahoma. Yeah, it ought to be threatened. It ought to be like, man, ain't nobody coming anymore for the lottery. Nobody's buying any tickets. Sales are way down. What's the problem? Why isn't anybody buying tickets? Well, they just keep getting these tracks and they're going to church and they're being saved and they don't want anything more to do with it. What do you think? We're rising up, right? Huh? How about it? The casino's going out of business in Oklahoma. How about that? No, wait a minute. This doesn't have to be fairy tale. This doesn't have to be far-fetched because if this Bible is having an effect in people's lives, they'll stop going to the casinos. 
and they'll stop buying lottery tickets and they'll stop buying booze and they'll stop buying cigarettes and clubs right here in Oklahoma City. Don't you know there's a bunch of clubs that need to go out of business right here. They ought to feel threatened by our presence and saying, man, we're going to have to shut our doors. We don't have the business like we ought to have. And cable companies, sales ought to go way down. And politicians that represent abortion and and uh, politicians that represent uh, a non-traditional view of marriage. They ought to see there's no way we can get any kind of inroads here. Why? Because of the gospel. And, pre- and places that preach and teach false doctrine uh, ought to be shutting down because people are believing the truth. I'm telling you, this Bible can have that type of effect if we're out there sharing it. In fact, if we took the gospel as serious as Paul did and the early church did, surely we'd be facing more opposition than what we are. I'm not saying we go out there looking for trouble. But I am saying that we ought to be proclaiming the gospel just like they did then. They were trying to be troublemakers. In fact, the town clerk said, hey, wait a minute. These folks aren't causing you any trouble. All they're doing is proclaiming a message which they have the freedom and the right to do. That's causing you the trouble. I understand the preaching of Billy Sunday back in the day caused some beer places to shut down as he preached against booze and anything that drank booze. Yep. And so in any case, he, he and others have preached the gospel. I'm just simply saying that somebody's craft ought to be endangered by the presence of the gospel in our country. Well, the okay, back to the message. Idol manufacturers, though, they were in trouble. They were in trouble. The whole city was in an uproar. You saw in verse number 29, the streets were filled with confusion. They, they couldn't find Paul. Don't you know that's what they were, who they were looking for? If they'd been able to find Paul, this mob would have ruled. Paul would not have, gotten a, would not have received a fair trial. No doubt they would have taken Paul's life just pretty much right there on the spot, more than likely. They couldn't find Paul. They couldn't uh, find him, so they found Gaius and uh, Aristarchus. And they, so they drug him, drug them rather, into the theater. The theater there is a rather large um, uh, complex, the Grand Theater in Ephesus. I understand it's still standing today and, and uh, can be seen, but it could seat a, capacity, a seating capacity up to 25,000 individuals. Huge uh, coliseum in place there. And so this whole place was in an uproar, and, and Paul, listen, Paul wanted to go. Paul wanted to go into the theater. Paul wanted to go into to where the 25, I don't know if there was that many there, but he wanted to go because there's a bunch of people there. What do you think Paul would have done? I know one thing he would have done. He had a crowd, and anywhere where there was a crowd, he had a message, and he would have delivered the message. That's what he would have done. No doubt in my mind, that's exactly what Paul was saying. And, and evidently, some of the other disciples said, Paul, it's just not good for you to go. You need to stay here. You need to stay back. Don't go. Paul's saying, but there's a big crowd there. They need to hear the gospel. The whole city's like, this is what we've been praying for. <laughs> there's Paul. And some of the city officials that evidently were Paul's friends that he had won to Christ. Hey, listen, the gospel can affect those that have great power and those that are very poor in a society. Thank God for that. And these individuals said, Paul, we really don't believe it'd be safe for you to go. And it's probably best for Paul that he did not go. The whole thing was just chaotic and, and total confusion was there, just a mob. Benjamin Franklin said that there, a mob in a mob that there are several heads there but no brains. Several heads, but no brains. And so that's exactly, exactly what was going on there. In fact, 
there was a, a majority there. We read the verse. It said they all came together and they were shouting, "No oh, great is Diana of the, of the Ephesians. And, but then there was a, a portion of them, a large number of them, that had absolutely no idea why they were even there. Why are we here? I don't know, but just start screaming. <laughs> mob. Danger. A dangerous mob. And so, evidently in all the commotion, the Jews wanted to make it very clear that they had nothing to do with this group that Paul was associated with. And so they put one man forward named Alexander. And Alexander started to beckon unto them. He raised his hands, no doubt, and was going to give them a speech and say, we are not the Christians. It's not us. We didn't destroy, you know, what's going on here in Ephesus. It's not us. But he didn't even have a chance because they realized he's a Jew. Shut him down. They drug him off. And for the space of two hours, they cried out, great is Diana the Ephesians. Great. I'm telling you, pagan religions are wild. For two hours, think we have a long service here. For two hours, for two hours they were crying out just one phrase, this mantra. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They drowned out Alexander and anybody else that wanted to say anything. Mob rule. Finally, the town clerk. The town clerk would have been the man who had the most clout in the city. He was the highest ranking civic official. And he came and said, listen, wait a minute. What are you all up in the air about? Diana, don't you know? Diana is widely worshipped around here. And we've got that stone there, that meteor. We would know it as a meteor that fell from heaven. They believed it was some sign from Jupiter that Artemis had come. And so they had some strange beliefs related to all that. And he said, listen, you've got that. You're, you're not threatened. Our, our economy is not threatened. But I'll tell you what's causing a problem here is that we're going to be called into question with Rome if you don't settle down. And so with that, God used a very unlikely source in this man to bring everything to a calm. And everybody left. It was kind of a bum deal for a mob. Nobody died. Yep. <laughs> God worked. He said, why get all up in there about this? I want to read you a quote. A man, uh, Daryl Bach, said this, What affects the commerce of idolatry in Ephesus is apparently not a program to stamp out magic, but the change of lifestyle among believers, which means that they separate themselves from that idolatry. Believers are not on a campaign against others they allow the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life to speak for itself. Yeah. You know, tonight, we're not on a campaign. I said, we're not on a campaign to stamp out the evils in our society. Now, I listed a good number of them, everything from gambling to alcohol to, to cigarettes to drugs and all that's in our city. Hey, all that needs to go. But there's really one way that it's going to go, and it's not you and I marching up towards the Capitol or not us holding up signs and all those things. Maybe they have a place at different times. But I'll tell you what God has called this church to do, and that's to deliver the one message that will change things, not just outwardly, but inwardly, so that then they do change outwardly. Yeah. And as we do that, we may certainly face opposition. Future plans disrupted, put on hold... By present problems. What did Paul do? He just trusted. 
He just trusted the one who made, made his plans in the first place. When his plans were disrupted, he knew that God said, you're going to Rome. I'm going to take you there. So this present little problem that came up on the radar, there really wasn't anything to be disturbed about because he knew ultimately what God was going to do. I think about Joseph. I'm just reading through Joseph's life right now. God told Joseph by the two dreams and revelations, that by way of revelation, that someday his brothers would bow before him, that God was going to use him. And, and that Joseph was going to rule. But you read there how that his brothers threw him into that pit. And suddenly his plans, God's plans, wait a minute, were disrupted. They were in jeopardy. But listen, the revelation of God will give you rest if you'll rest in it. Remember that from Genesis? And, and so here is Joseph who has God's plans for his life. But it all seems chaotic at this point as he spends upwards of 12 years in prison. It does not seem like God's plans are going to work out. But listen, when future plans that were from God... When they're put to the test and when there are problems that are associated with it, then all you really need to do is just wait on God because if it's his plans, it's going to work out. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to get into the boat now that I've taught you about the spread of the kingdom. I want you to get into the boat and I want you to pass over to the other side. We're going to that side of the lake of the sea there where there's Gentiles. Because I'm telling you that the, the gospel is going to spread to the Gentiles. So we're going to leave this Jewish region and we're going to go over here to the Gentile region. And, and I'm going to be there and we're going to go over that way. And listen, as they were en route that direction, I just heard the message that Brother Bo Bishop preached two Sunday nights ago about how that they were right where God wanted them to be. Jesus was with them in the boat. They're on their way. And while they're on their way, they encounter a storm. Wasn't that how it is in Mark chapter 4? They encountered a storm. There was opposition. And they said to Jesus, who was asleep, who was asleep, taking a nap in the midst of a storm. Evidently, he must have control. He's asleep in the midst of the storm, and they wake him up and say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? We're about to die. Don't you care? What was it? The future plans that were made by God were put in jeopardy by their present problems, but Jesus was not alarmed by their present problems because he knew what the future was, and he knew what he called them to, be, to do. And thus he stood up on that boat that day and said to that storm, he rebuked the winds, just like you'd rebuke a devil as he did in other cases. He rebuked the wind, and he said this, Peace, be still. Not like my little Trenton thought. He said, please, please be still. No, he didn't say please. He said, peace, be still. Stop it right there. And they came through on the other side. You see, throughout the Bible, anytime you see where God's plans are jeopardized by man's problems, God's always going to win. So I'm saying to you tonight that you may have some plans that you receive from God. I'm saying to you, first of all, your plans need to come from God. Your, the, the life you're living needs to be you living in God's will. Listen, do you know that right now what you're doing is God's will for your life? You need to know that, my friend. You need to know that. You need to have that settled, settled deep in your heart that I know we are doing what God has called us to do. You need to know that. You need to be settled on that because problems are coming. I think about parents who have adopted. Listen, you need to know that that's what God wants you to do because problems will come. They come. But when they come, you don't have to worry and, and fret about it because if God gave you that plan here and then you encounter problems here, then what you can do is trust that God's going to bring you through that. Whether it's that or if you, you uh, come uh, to take a job, you better know. You better know. I'm telling you, you better pray about that matter. Don't just take that job because it offers more money. 
You better pray about it and make sure that that is what job God wants you to have. Because problems are going to come. You need to make, make sure way ahead of time, before you step out there, make sure that you are doing God's will because problems are going to come. I wanted to make very, very sure that when we moved from, uh, from the Springfield, Missouri area to Oklahoma City, I want to know that this was the mind of God, that I wasn't out there just on my own. And I thought about, you know, the, the respect I had for Brother Davidson, the respect I had for Southwest Baptist Church. Hey, listen, it had to go deeper than that, my friend. I needed to know that this was God's place for my life. And I kept a journal on it. It came out to be about 12 to, uh, or 13 pages, single space typed. I mean, everything that God showed me that, yes, this is his will. This is his will. You're you're walking in the right way. And, and then as problems encountered, listen, I've got a file. Sometimes I'll just pull out and say, hey, you know, I know God wants me to be here. You with me here tonight? I'm telling you, you need to know that God's in this. You need to know that God is leading you. You need to seek the face of God, the mind of God, what God wants you to do. And if he's called you to come here to Oklahoma City, maybe to go to school, here you are. You're following God's will for your life. And in the midst of that, lo and behold, you've encountered problems. Somebody's opposing you. Somebody maybe doesn't, isn't in favor of you being here. Or your money is short. Or, or your car is breaking down. You're a college student. You should expect some of that. And so, in any case, but you're having problems. Hey, listen, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Some of you now are starting to follow the Lord with your life. Maybe you're a brand new believer. You've just come to faith in the Jesus Christ and you've made a bunch of decisions to try to follow God in your life. And as you've gotten rid of this and that in your life, and now you're starting to move forward, you're gaining some traction, you're moving forward. Listen, it's, gonna, it be, it's inevitable that that problems are going to come your way. That's going to test your faith. If you're following God with your life and you're making an effort to be here in church, and listen, it's not always easy even just to make it to church, but you're here tonight and you believe this is where God wants you to be because it is. He, he doesn't want us to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Hey, listen, you're in the will of God even when it gets hard, even when there's problems, even when there's dogs, even when there's things that try to keep you from going forward. Hey, wait a minute. Know what God's will is, his future plans, even in the midst of those present problems, and trust the one who makes your future plans. You're probably going to face problems in marriage. Is that a surprise to anybody? Can I say to those that aren't married yet, you better make sure you know for sure that that is God's will for you. Number one, to marry, period. Number two, that you're supposed to marry that person. By the way, you don't marry who you hope they become. You marry who they are. Yep. You don't marry who you hope that you can make them to be. You marry who they are. You don't marry who you hope that they will change to be. You know, wait a minute, I'm telling you, you better make real sure that it is God's will for you to marry that person. Now, once you're married, it's God's will. You better treat it that way, I'm just simply saying. Yeah, treat it that way. Why? Because in your marriage, every married person in here knows tonight that in marriage, God's design of marriage, that there's going to be problems. It's not God's fault, it's just part of marriage. It's us. So when you're in the midst of that marriage and it is problematic, or he's problematic, or she's problematic, listen, don't give up on the plan. Just trust the one who gave you the plan in the first place. Raising kids is problematic. They come with issues. Many issues, little instructions. Right? Don't give up on the plan. When the problems come, when your future plans are disrupted by present problems, I'm not saying that there's going to be a mob rule in the house. I hope not. Yep. An overthrow? No, maybe not that, but there's going to be problems. You're going to face some times that will be a setback and a difficulty in a relationship. Don't give up. I see Paul. He didn't give up. He went on to Macedonia. 
It just went on. Got through that problem. God worked and he got through it. You know, some of you, your financial situations, you're going to see some setbacks. There's no doubt about it. You don't know what's coming the rest of this year. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just simply saying that even in the course of following God, there's going to be some setbacks. There's going to be some tragedy that will strike a home. And your plans shattered, it seems like. You know what I appreciated about uh, the Wednesday night service I had occasion to be a part of there at Lighthouse? They're in the midst of um, the expanding their Sunday school area. And they were very focused on that Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. Here they are, one of the young men who had worked on those part, those, uh, that expansion and such, Bo Bishop, with his own hands had worked. Obviously, they were still grieving the loss of such a dear young man. I'm still grieving the loss of that dear young man. But here's what they were saying. Hey, pray, tomorrow we have our inspections. The Todd Cowsers helped out there and other electricians kind of helping out. They had their inspections. I don't know how it, how it went as of uh, Wednesday night. They were praying about that. You know what they're saying? You know, we've got these future plans. We've got some present problems here. We're going to send our pastor. Our pastor is going to go. We're going to be away for about two, three weeks with this, this situation that's come up in his life. You know what Russ Bishop said to the church there? He said, listen, we're going to be away, but you feel free to call us. You know what he's saying? You know what they were praying about that night? The next day, uh, Brother Stephen was having a surgery. They were praying for Stephen. They were praying for Jenny Switzer, who's in Ethiopia and South Sudan. I read a prayer letter from her. I'm telling you, they were moving ahead. Not like it didn't happen. No, it's very still very real and, and very, very much a part of their life right now. It's going to be that way. That's all understandable. But here's what's happening. They know God has a plan for that church and a purpose. And even though they've encountered this situation that just hit them out seemingly out of nowhere and the storm came out of nowhere, I'm telling you, you ought to listen to that message by Bo Bishop. And he talks about it how that sometimes, you know, here they were right in the middle of God's will and, and doing what God wanted them to do. And this storm just came. They had a present problem. But here's what I see. The faith and resolve of the church that was started out of this church. Thank God for that. But they have this resolve. We believe God's still in, on the throne. They're meeting their, their present problems in light of the present, the future plans that God has for them. Do you know what God's ultimate plan is for your life? I believe you ought to pray about what your calling is and all those things in serving and the, like the big items that we talk about, marriage and jobs and things of that nature. But I can tell you what God's plan is for your life tonight. It's the same thing that it is for my life. Whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen, that is God's future plan for your life to be conformed to the image of His Son. Right now, you may be encountering some present problems seem to be disruptive to that plan. Some of it may be of your own making. You've made some choices that's caused you to go backwards rather than forwards. Or it may just be that life is tough right now. Or this, the circumstances seem to be pushing against you. Or maybe others are even being discouraging to you. Whatever it may be, you're probably encountering some form of present problems. But wait a minute, He has not forgot about that future plan. And I'm confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So when your future plans encounters present problems, just trust the one who made your future plans. He'll bring you through it. He may not do it as quickly and as nicely as like what, like what we would like for him to do, but he's still on the throne. Yeah. 
And there's sometimes when you're running the race, you know how far you want to run, that there's dogs that come. You've got to pick up a pretty big stick and just fight them off. That's what you've got to do. Yeah. But don't forget the plan. Paul didn't forget the plan. Jesus didn't forget the plan. The church didn't forget the plan. The church just kept moving on. Yeah. So when your future plans made under God's authority are disrupted by present problems, put your trust in the one who plans your future. Father, we thank you tonight that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And it's said in the Bible that after these things were ended, you, he purposed in his, in his spirit and the spirit that he would go there. And at the same time, there arose no small stir. Maybe tonight in a believer's life, there is no small stir. There's a great disturbance of some sort. Obviously, it's not like it was there in the book of Acts here, but there are similarities here, God. And maybe somebody is having a great disturbance, a family disturbance, a financial disturbance, a life disturbance, maybe brought on by their own choices. God, thank you for your mercy and compassion there. Thank you for not giving up on us. I thank you, God, for the confidence that we can have in you that Lord, you're going to work everything out according to your will, and that it's you that worketh in us to do and, and to will and to do of your good pleasure. I pray that you'd help us here tonight and uh, help those that maybe are encountering some present problems. Would you give them the assurance that you're with them, that you haven't forgotten the plan? I pray that you'd help them in Jesus' name tonight. Amen.